Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, New York was spared the blizzard that all the weathermen were sure was coming. I was hearing these reports here in Connecticut. It was going to be the worst storm ever, three foot of snow. And, you know, it was basically a light dusting in New York City. We did get uh, maybe, I don't know, six, eight inches here in Connecticut. Uh, Nothing really impressive. Uh, But New York really was spared uh, the storm with the exception of Wall Street. Right. Wall Street got buried in three feet, not of snow, right, but of bad earnings and bad economic news uh, that had the Dow at one point down almost 400 points. We were down about 390 early in the morning. We did rally back. We closed down 290, so about 100 points off the intercession lows. You know, I was joking on uh, television earlier today that these. These weathermen are making economists and central bankers look good because as bad as their forecasts are, the economists and the central bankers are even worse. Uh, Let's start with the economic numbers of the day. In fact, there were a lot of economic numbers that came out today, but let's just focus on one in particular, which I think was the most significant, and that was December durable goods. Right. This was some of the bad news that came out today, although the the earnings and I'll get to that next. uh, That was even more uh, instrumental in the weakness out of the out of the starting gate. But durable goods were expected to come in at a plus point seven. And if you strip out transportation, they were expected to be plus point eight. All right. Now, pretty much all the economists were expecting a gain. The only question was how much. Some people had the gain as high as 2.9%. There were a couple of guys, just a couple, that thought it would go down, right? So we had uh, a, a somebody would think it maybe down 1.3%. The actual number down 3.4%. Huge drop, totally unexpected. I don't know why. You know, why is all the bad news unexpected? You know, already we've had more unexpected bad news so far in 2015 than in any year in the last 10 years. And that includes, you know, 2008, 2009, right? Uh, Because everybody expects good things, and they're shocked when they don't get it, but then they ignore it, all right, because they assume the next report is going to be good. Uh, So minus 3.4. If you strip out transportation, they were looking at up 0.8. Instead, they got down 0.8. Well, they got the number right. They just got the the sign wrong. They got the direction, you know, completely backwards. Instead of up 0.8, it was down 0.8. So this is a very, very bad number. And this was for December of 2014. That's, you know, we're going to get the GDP for the fourth quarter on Friday. They're still looking for 3.2. We'll see. I mean, if it's an honest number, it should be well shy of that. But you never know with this Obamacare stuff. They keep sticking all this in there. 
uh, and, and goosing the GDP. I'm just wonder if they're, wondering if they're out of padding now. Uh, but that was the big economic news. We got other news reports that came out. Consumer confidence, though, was supposedly the one piece of good economic news. That came in at a very high level. Consumer confidence came in at 102.9. Uh, you know, they were expecting 96, but I think that's a contrarian indicator. You know, the last time consumers were this confident was in the middle of 2007, and we all know how that turned out. So I think it's false confidence. Uh, yeah, the price of gas might be down, and maybe that's given people a ray of hope. And of course, there's all this uh, hype out there in the media about this recovery, so maybe consumers are, are, are buying it. Uh, but I think there's going to be a collapse in these numbers at some point when reality uh, has a violent confrontation uh, with perception. Let's go, though, to the earnings, because the earnings are really telling the story here. You know, the big number before the open, Pete Procter and Gamble, earnings down 31 percent, 31 percent. Now, part of it is being blamed on the strength of the dollar, and, and that's true to the extent that they're a multinational company. And yes, they're earning more valuable dollars, but they're earning fewer of them. Uh, but when you have a high P.E. based on the number of dollars you earn, and when no one cares what they're worth in terms of euros, they're just trying to value the stock price in dollars, uh, this is negative for stocks in the short run. And more companies are warning. Caterpillar warned. Microsoft, bad numbers, stock down 10% today. A really interesting number that came out was on Friday from UPS, which got clobbered. Their stock was down about 10%. And, and, and UPS's earnings report really proves something I've been talking about on this podcast for months. UPS announced, the, you know, they delivered this bad news. Uh, and, and what they said was that they overestimated holiday sales, that the holiday sales were disappointing. They weren't what they thought they were going to be. But what really hurt them was not that their shipments were down, but they had prepared for more shipments and they hired people and they paid people overtime expecting that they were going to be busy. Instead, they were just sitting around with nothing to do. And this is what I was warning about. Remember, I was saying that one of the reasons I thought that there was a lot of hiring in late 2014 was that businesses like UPS were gearing up for a recovery that they thought was going to happen. And I was saying that the recovery was a mirage. They thought what they were looking at was real, but when they got to it, it was a mirage, right? You're out in the desert and you see a, 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 you know, a lake, a stream in the distance and you're walking to it. You're excited. You're finally going to get something to drink because you've been in that desert, wandering in a desert for a long time and your mouth is parched and you see this stream up there. And then when you get there you know, and you put your hands down and you got a mouth full of sand, that's a mirage. That's what's going to happen. That's what happened to UPS. They were expecting all these uh, holiday sales and they didn't get it. They got a mouth full of sand. What comes next? The layoffs. They got to lay people off, right? They hired all these people that don't need them. You know, that's what UPS, not, I mean, that's what P&G, Procter & Gamble said. They said they need to offset this reduction in sales by cutting costs, i.e. laying off workers, right? We got a lot of layoffs that are coming in 2015 based on people that were hired by mistake, right? Based on companies that were preparing for a non-existent recovery. Now, we did get... Uh, better than expected news out of Apple. 
uh, after the close, uh, mostly because of the you know booming sales of the iPhone six. You know, I bought one of those things too. Uh, so, but I think Apple is going to be the exception, not the rule, this earnings season. And of course, the success of the iPhone six probably came at the expense of some other headset, or maybe if consumers you know bought the iPhone, maybe they they didn't buy something else. So I don't think this is going to be enough uh, to save the day. the The market to me looks very, very toppy, and I think we're I think we're headed lower, right? Until until the Fed comes in. Now a lot more people now are are talking about um, the Fed maybe not raising rates uh, in June. Right. Finally, people are saying they might not do it. Maybe they'll do it later in the year or they might not do it until 2016. Some people are saying uh, it's because of the strong dollar. And, yeah, that might be their excuse, although I'll doubt, I doubt they'll use those words. I doubt they'll reference the dollar. They'll probably just talk about inflation. And, yes, the strong dollar is uh, temporarily uh, reducing costs, which is a good thing, not a bad thing, right? But, you know, the Fed will be able to use that as their excuse because everybody thinks inflation is a good thing. But, you know, here's an interesting sound clip from CNBC, Larry Kudlow, talking about the strong dollar, you know, because he's the king dollar man, and he he talks about why a strong dollar is good, and I would agree with him. It is good. Uh, uh, the problem is this strong dollar is, is not going to stay strong, right? It's only t- strong temporarily, so whatever benefits we get are going to be ephemeral uh, because they're not they're not going to stick around because the dollar is strong only because people believe in the U.S. recovery and they believe the Fed is going to raise rates, which they're not going to do. And the recovery isn't real. We're going back to recession. So there is no real strong dollar. Uh, the strong dollar is going to turn around. But it's interesting. Listen to what Larry Kudlow has to say about why the strong dollar is good for America and why it's going to make America more competitive, meaning American manufacturers are going to be able to sell more products, they're going to be more competitive as a result of a strong currency. Here's what he says. Higher dollar means everything we buy, currencies, commodities, Are you planning oil. a trip to Greece yet? Listen to me. <laughs> everything we buy is cheaper and makes America more competitive. It Understood. actually makes our exports more competitive. Now, of course, he's correct. Right. I've been saying that all along about a strong currency. It reduces your costs. But here's the thing. Earlier in that interview, Cudlow was talking about how the European economy was going to benefit from the weaker euro. Right. That was going to help European exports. It was going to make Europe more competitive. And that's what everybody believes. But, how you know, it's not like Europe operates in some kind of different uh, economic plane like a different reality, an alternative economic universe where the laws of economics are are different on the other side of the pond. I mean, if you believe that a weak euro is good for your economy and stimulates your exports, which obviously everybody thinks, well, then why wouldn't the same thing be true in America? Why wouldn't a weak dollar be good for America? How could a strong dollar be good for America, but a strong euro be bad for Europe? It's got to be the same on both sides. If a strong dollar is going to make us more competitive, like like Carlos says, well, why wouldn't a strong euro make Europeans more competitive? And why won't a weak euro hurt the European economy? Which I think it will. Now, it will short-term pad the earnings of uh, European multinationals that have revenues in dollars, right? You do get a temporary boost, just like we're going to get a temporary reduction in 
S&P 500 earnings from the strong dollar. That's why Wall Street always wants a weak currency, because they want that phony boost. They don't care how earnings grow. They just want them to grow. They just want their stock options to vest so they can cash out. They want to make their bonuses. Their bonuses are based on nominal earnings, not real earnings. These guys that manage hedge funds, they take 20% of the profits. They don't care if the profits are all inflationary. They don't care how they get there. In fact, you lower the bar when you create inflation. But it's it, you know, it's it's a heads I win, tails you lose when you, you got like Cudlow is saying, well, yeah, well, a strong dollar is good for America and a weak year was good for Europe. You can't have it both ways. You got to be consistent in what you say. But the problem, of course, that Cudlow does understand is the dollar isn't going to stay strong. It's strong because everybody believes that all the other central banks are going to do these stupid things and that the Fed is not going to do any more stupid things. Well, we're just getting started when it comes to doing stupid things. Nobody's going to out-stupid us, right? The Federal Reserve is going to make more mistakes uh, than the European Central Bank, than the Bank of Canada, than any of these other central banks. And so the dollar is going to go back down. Of course, the principal beneficiary of the currency war is going to be gold. Contrary to what Alan Greenspan said, gold is not the best currency. It is money. It is better than currency, not the best currency. It is money, whether people on Wall Street recognize that or not. In fact, Goldman Sachs on Monday, right, in its repeated war to crush the price of gold, Goldman Sachs came out and upped their downward forecast for gold, but pushed back in time when it was going to happen. So gold is going to be weaker than they thought in 2016, they said, but higher than they thought in 2015. Because of things that central banks are doing that are, I guess they think will slow down its, its decline. But here's an interesting thing about the Goldman Sachs note that came out on Monday. They did recognize something I've been saying. They said that with the big drop in oil prices and the, um, the rise in the, in, in the gold price in terms of the Canadian dollar and the Australian dollar or the South African rand, right? They did mention that gold is now a lot more profitable to mine. I think they estimated that the cost of mining has now come down by the equivalent of about $150 an ounce. And, and so as a result of that, they expect mine output to increase. And they look at that as bearish for gold because more supply, which shows you how little they actually know about the market. Uh, there's not going to be much in the way of increased production, uh, at least initially. It's mainly going to be just higher profits for the gold miners. They're not going to rush into more production. They might change the grading that they mine. They might mine some of the higher cost gold. But I think it's going to take a much bigger move up before you get a, a, a big boom in production. But I do think that is going to come later in the year, not earlier. But the increase in production is going to take a long time. They might start investing CapEx. They might start preparing for more production. But it's probably going to take years for the production to really come on stream. And it's still going to be outpaced by the increase in demand. That's another thing that Goldman Sachs doesn't get. Yes, the gold supply might go up slightly. But the gold demand will go up dramatically. But even though they acknowledged that gold mining was going to be more profitable, not only did they not upgrade a single gold stock, they actually downgraded Kinross from neutral to a sell. I mean, you know how much Kinross has dropped? I mean, I guess they've been neutral on it the whole time, and they waited for it to be right near the lows to cut it to sell, right? 
But now, and of course, it's gone, done nothing but go up every day since uh, uh, Goldman reduced it. But gold, you know, these gold stocks, I think, are going to continue to shine uh, throughout 2015, 2016. But, you know, here is a typical example of how Wall Street views gold. This is a guy I was watching on CNBC, and there were two, I don't know if it was two or three guys, and one guy wasn't that bad that they were interviewing, and, and, and he, he, you know, he was bullish on gold, right? He wasn't wildly bullish, but he was bullish, you know, and he said a few other things that were okay. Uh, and after he says that he's buying gold, the host basically asked the other guests, you know, hey, Jim, you know, what are your thoughts on gold, right? Are you, are you buying any gold? Listen to what this guy, listen, listen to what this guy says. I am I am one of those folks who thinks gold is just another metal and frankly not that very useful at all. So I generally stay away from it. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, this is typical of Wall Street's attitude about gold because not only does this guy think that gold's not worthwhile as an investment, he says it's not even useful as a metal. I mean, what is this guy thinking? Does this guy not understand anything about gold to say that you know, it's not a very useful metal. It is the most useful metal on the planet. I mean, it's one thing to think, look, I don't invest in it. I don't understand these gold bugs fascination, you know, you know, with gold as money or gold as an asset class, but then to have to denigrate it as a metal too. I mean, talking about, you know, they just, you know, beating it when it's down. It's not just a bad investment, but it's not even a valuable metal. When of course it is. I mean, what does this guy think? Why does this guy think gold became money? It became money because it was so valuable as a metal in the first place. It is the single most useful metal on the planet Earth. I mean, maybe there's a metal on some other planet that maybe we'll find that has more value. I don't know. But gold has a lot of uses. The reason that gold isn't more prolific is because it's so expensive, because so many people want it. But does this guy really think that if, you know, if gold wasn't money, if we, if we weren't using gold as money, and it really was just another metal, that it would just be a nuisance? That if you had a, you know, a lead mine, you know, or a nickel mine or a copper mine, and while you were mining it, you know, you, you, you hit some gold, you would be, ah, damn it, more gold. Crap, what am I going to do with this? You know, and you're just going to try to dispose of it? Where, where am I going to put this gold? I'm trying to get this. I'm trying to get some lead here. I keep I keep striking gold, man. This is really bothering me. I mean, is this what they think? Like if you were walking around and there was some gold there, you would just step over it like it was oh gold. That's that's gold's completely worthless. What could you do with that? You could do everything with gold. It is the king of metals. But this is what they have to do on Wall Street. They have to they have to make you hate gold so much. That you, that you can't even recognize that it has any value at all, even as a metal. Now, going from the sublime to the ridiculous here, comments from gold about gold. Let's go to comments about Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin was in the news again for a couple of reasons. Uh, Coinbase uh, just uh, started trading, which raised a lot of money from these VCs in the, B, uh, in the Bitcoin world. And it's now another place where you can buy and sell Bitcoins except this one is in the United States. <clears throat> so it's not in some other country uh, like Mt. Gox was or now a Bitstamp. This is a U.S.-based platform for buying and selling Bitcoin. And I think it's going to be mostly selling. But initially, there's been some buying. The price of Bitcoin, I mentioned, had gotten down as low as 150 something uh, The other day, it got above uh, 300 
Uh, it did. It didn't stay there very long, but you know, it did manage to get above that uh, 260 or so resistance that I mentioned, which was support uh, for a long time. So it had a, a bit of a rally. Right now, it's back just at 260. In fact, after it went above 300, it did sell back off down. I think 243 was the low. So we've had some volatility in Bitcoin, not only surrounding the, the launch of Coinbase, but also the Winklevoss brothers, the twins, are down in, in, in Florida, in Hollywood, Florida, at the Diplomat for the ETF conference, talking about you know the Bitcoin ETF that they're going to be launching at some point. Right? Now, you know, I was supposed to be down at that conference. I was going to have a, a debate with Dennis Gartman. And you know, I've been so swamped here with work, and I had just gotten back from Florida a week ago, and I got to go back down there next week for the money show. I felt bad, but a few weeks ago, I, I basically backed out. I told him I just I didn't have time. I told him I would be there, and I said I didn't have time to come down. And they really, God, they were really pissed off the, the email they wrote me. So, you know, and it's not like I charge them. I go down there for free, but they were they were so mad that I wasn't going to attend. They, they'll probably never get invite me again. Uh, and I don't know why they don't understand it. I would have come, but I'm just so busy right now with so many things. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the flights, you never know. I mean, flying and dealing with the winter. So it just was, it was too much. But um, the Winklevoss were down there and CNBC had a camera crew down there. And so they're talking to the Winklevoss uh, about Bitcoin. And Bob, uh, Bob Bassani is interviewing them and asks them about the price of Bitcoin and what's going on with Bitcoin. So have a little bit of a listen to this exchange. I mean, because you really would believe this. That's why that's why I got the recording here. So you know I'm not I'm not just making this stuff up, right? Now we're at what? What are we today? Two fifty, two seventy? Close to three hundred. Really? Close to three hundred. Now we were at eleven sixty before. Are you concerned at all about the decline in the price? I know people focus on that, but what should people be thinking who are watching Bitcoin go down? I think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, we're, we're in this for the long haul, so we don't check the price minute to minute or day to day. Um, I think that people have to either understand the long-term promise. This is, if this is a global payment system that is the future, it should have a market cap of Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, Western Union combined, which would put it at 400 billion. If it's a better gold, which we think it is, and most people do agree with that, then it should have a market cap in the trillions. Now, first of all, right, you, you hear... Uh, the host, right, Pisani, says, you know, Bitcoin's around 250, right? And it, and it probably was around 250 earlier in the day, or yeah. And then immediately, one of the Winklevoss twins says, it's closer to 300, right? So he, 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 so he knows where it is, right? Because it had just gotten to 300. It was there only for a brief period of time, it was around, you know, the hot 290, 300, right? So the guy's like, it's closer to 300, right? And then when the host says, well, you know, it used to be 1100. You know, what do you think about it? And then the first reaction is, well, we don't watch the price, you know, minute by minute or day to day. Well, you know, that's a lie. Of course, they're watching it day to day, minute by minute. I mean, he knows exactly where it is. When the guy said 250, he corrected him and said, no, it's closer to 300. And then he says he doesn't watch the price. Well, I mean, of course, in fact, I bet that's the only thing these guys do. I mean, they've got a, an index, Winkdex or something like that, which is an index that tracks the price. How can these guys not know the price every day? I'm sure they look at it. You know, they, they mentioned in this interview that they own 1% of all the Bitcoins that exist. You better believe you own 1% of the Bitcoins that exist. You're looking at the price. He's probably got it on his phone. It's his number one app. It's probably his screensaver. 
He's probably looking at it constantly, you know, looking at the price. Who's he kidding? He doesn't look at the price. He says he's in this for the long term. But here's the real joke, right? When they start, the guy starts talking about what valuation that he thinks you should put on Bitcoin. Because if you added up all the Bitcoins right now, right, the market cap of all the Bitcoins in the world is three and a half billion dollars. And 35 million of them are owned by the Winklevoss twins, right? That's 1%, right? So it's three. And so the total market cap is now 3.5 billion. And he's basically saying what he thinks it should be worth. And of course, his his um his analysis is completely irrelevant. You know, but again, if the guy owns 1% of all the bitcoins. And he wants to unload him, right? He's, you know, he's got to come up with a tall tale, right? I mean, he's trying to prove P.T. Bartum right, you know, about the suckers being born every minute. But he wants to make sure that every sucker is buying his Bitcoins. But, you know, I think, you know, he missed an opportunity. They claim that they never sold any Bitcoins, which I guess is too bad for the Winklevoss uh, because uh, they're going down with this ship. But listen to the valuation, because first he says, right, he says that, well, you know, for those of you who just value it as a payment system, right? He thinks that as a payment system, if you think it's a payment system of the future, well, it should have the same market cap of Western Union, American Express, Visa, MasterCard, and Discover all combined, which would put it at $400 billion, right? Many times the $2.5 billion or the $3.5 billion that the current price. So he thinks that they're worth $400 billion. I mean, come on. I mean, first of all, even if it is a payment system of the future, it's not the only one. There are plenty of other digital currencies. And you think that you're going to put all those other credit card companies out of business, right? That there's going to be no Visa, no MasterCard, no Western Union, everybody, everybody on the planet, all around the world, we're just going to be using Bitcoin. And, you know, the reason that Visa and MasterCard and Discover are so valuable is because most people use dollars or euros or Swiss francs, or yen, or whatever, they don't use Bitcoin. Yes, Bitcoin is a great payment system if you have Bitcoin. If you don't already have Bitcoin, it sucks as a payment system, right? If you have dollars and you want to use the Bitcoin payment system, it's a lousy deal because now you have to buy the Bitcoins. And what happens if they drop 5 or 10% between the time you buy them and the time you spend them? I guess you're SOL. It's not worth it. So Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin system is a lousy payment system for people that don't have Bitcoin. But if you already own Bitcoin, it's a fantastic payment system for your Bitcoins, right? If you've got Bitcoins anyway, and the person that you're trading with wants Bitcoins, then the payment system is great. But you have to be in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so in order to say, well, everybody's going to use it, well, then you know, it should be worth $400 billion. It should be the combination of MasterCard, Amex. Well, then everybody's got to be in Bitcoin. Everybody's got to get paid in Bitcoin. All the salaries, all, all, the, all the rents are in Bitcoin. The governments give up their currencies. Everybody adopts Bitcoin. I mean, this is absurd logic to try to claim that Bitcoin should have the combined market cap of all these companies. It's absurd. But what's even more absurd is when he combines it to gold. Because then he says again, well, and if you think it's a better gold, which we think and which most people think, who are most people? You're telling me most people think Bitcoin is better than gold? No, they don't. I mean, most people don't even consider it. But even the people 
that are in Bitcoin aren't going to say it's better than gold. You know, maybe it has some properties that they might prefer, but it's certainly not better than gold. But he says, if you think it's better than gold, then it should have a market cap in the trillions. Now, why is that? Well, if Bitcoin are better than gold, he thinks that basically Bitcoin should replace gold and have its market cap. Well, how can that be? What can you do with Bitcoin? I mean, I mentioned earlier that gold is the most useful metal, right? You can, you can do all sorts of things with gold, even if it's not money. Right? What could you do with Bitcoin? Nothing. You can't. You can't make a necklace out of bitcoins. You know. You can't conduct electricity in bitcoins. You can't use bitcoins in aerospace. Right? You, you can't use bitcoins in medicine. You can't. You know, you know. Make a crown for your teeth and fill it full of bitcoin. I mean, you can't do anything with bitcoin. Right? You can do all sorts of things with gold. But to say that bitcoin is going to replace gold. I mean, look, he might as well say that Bitcoin should have the value of all the real estate in the world or all the stocks in the world. Just say Bitcoin should be worth all the real estate, all the stocks, all the gold combined. I mean, why not say that Bitcoin should be worth trillions? Why not say that Bitcoin is going to be the currency of the universe, that we're going to discover life on other planets and we're all going to decide to transact in Bitcoin? I mean, the whole thing is lunacy. When he makes these pie-in-the-sky numbers, and, and tries to PA, create comparisons that have absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's absurd to say that Bitcoin should have the market cap of gold just because he thinks it's better than gold. Or it should be worth all these other payment systems combined instead of just being another payment system. Look, this is all hype, right? The guy is just trying to hype this thing up. At least, you know, or, the, or they're complete morons, right? And... My guess is that's not the case. They just want to cash in, and maybe they made the mistake. They didn't sell out last time around, uh, and I think they missed their chance. I don't think they're going to be able to unload their Bitcoins. In fact, I mentioned this ETF that they're supposedly trying to launch, or they're, they're going to be pricing it at the equivalent of $100 of Bitcoin. So they're, unlo- they're willing to unload their Bitcoins through their ETF uh, at less than half of the current market price. If that's the case, you know why not just sell now? And if you really think they're going to be worth uh, a trillion trillions, why would you want to sell any? Right, just hold on to them. Uh, but uh, you know, I think again that this is all a part of the the marketing plan that, that that is going to backfire on these guys. You know, quick note: the Greek elections haven't had a chance to talk about those. A lot of people got very bearish on Sunday night when the results of the Greek elections came out. I mean, not much of a surprise that the Greeks are voting for more free stuff, that politicians promising an end to austerity, right? Higher minimum wage, higher pay for government workers, tax the rich, you know, same old socialist nonsense that all democracies fall for. You know, it was the failure of the Greek democracies. That's why the founding fathers didn't want America to be a democracy. They wanted it to be a republic. And the reason was because they had studied Greek history and what a failure Greek democracy was in the past, and they didn't want to repeat the failures of Greece in America. And so we were created as a republic, uh, not a democracy. Uh, But Greeks don't even know their own own history or understand it because democracy is still failing in Greece. And that's why, you know, they want to vote in socialism. But everybody is worried that, oh, the euro is going to really collapse now because what if Greek leaves? Look, I said if Greece wants to leave, good riddance. I think the euro without Greece is stronger than the euro with Greece. 
Do I think Greek will, Greece will be better off if they leave the Eurozone? Not if the socialists are in control. Look, if they do the right thing, default on their debt, and then turn Greece into a free market paradise in Europe, if they make it like a Hong Kong or, you know, more maybe like a Liechtenstein or something like that, a, a Monaco, a, uh, you know, a, a, a safe haven tax-free zone, right? If they do something like that, Sure, but that's not what the Greek politicians are promising. They're promising something for nothing. They're promising higher taxes on the successful people so they can hand out more people, more money to people who don't work or who just pretend to work by, by working for the government. But meanwhile, the euro has rallied now. It, it, it sold off a little bit when the results of the election came on. We've had a two-day rally in the euro. We're back now close to 114 after being around 111, I think we got. But we're still in a vicious downtrend. Uh, with the euro. So we'll see. There, you know, we still get all this negative economic news on the U.S., which should be weakening the dollar. But again, it all is on the back burner. You know, yeah, they, they look at the negative economic news and then they dismiss it because they don't want to give up the narrative about a strong U.S. economy and a tighter Fed. Now we'll see. We get Fed. The Fed is uh, going to release, uh, you know, their 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 statement tomorrow. They have this two day meeting every six weeks. There's no press conference tomorrow, but Jan, they're going to release a statement. So we'll see. Normally, whenever the Fed says anything, the market rallies, a dollar rallies, because everybody believes all the hype. But again, they, you know, why do people believe these Fed officials? They don't have a good track record. Either they're lying or they're just incompetent. But even if they thought there was a problem ahead, they wouldn't they wouldn't say anything about it. Because the last thing they want to do is let people know they're worried because they're worried about a self-fulfilling prophecy. So they're always going to say things are good no matter what. But recently, when the Fed expresses some optimism, the dollar rally, stocks rally, we'll see what happens. But also, again, another interesting point, the last couple of days, especially you know today with the weak stock market, the dollar went down. So the dollar is acting as a risk asset, not a risk off asset or a safe haven asset. So, and I think that's changed. Maybe the safe haven currencies now are the Swiss franc, are the yen. Who knows? It might even end up being the euro again. But, you know, uh, but I think gold is going to emerge as the ultimate safe haven because, you know, all these other central banks can pull the rugs out from under you. They can print money, but, you know, gold, you know, gold is very difficult to get it out of the ground. You know, you got to mine it. It ain't easy. You can't just create it out of thin air uh, like you can any of these other currencies. So I think gold is going to be the principal safe haven. And it has been acting that way. Stocks going down, gold going up. Stocks going down, gold stocks going up. So it's been so far in 2015. And let's see if it's going to continue throughout the year, because I think it will, especially since no one on Wall Street is on board with this trend yet. I wonder how much higher gold and gold stocks are going to have to go before the first Wall Street firm puts a buy on one of these stocks. My bet is you're going to have to see at least a double, at least a double before anybody on Wall Street uh, takes interest in, in the sector. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. 
Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.